the old world is ending, and we have the opportunity to rethink everything. This is a show about the structural problems in our world and the real solutions that we have today to transition from an apocalyptic storm of war, scarcity, and ecological collapse into a collaborative and sustainable futuristic society that serves all life. You may think it's an impossible dream, but the alternative is an inevitable nightmare. We're your hosts, Zachary Marlowe, Matt Holton, and Amanda Smith. And together, when we can move past this economic absurdity to come together and actualize our collective potential to create something completely new, we are Moneyless Society. Presently, it's clearer than ever that the system is broken. The archaic, conventional way of doing things no longer serves greater society, but only a few, and those few have made it blatantly obvious that their interests have nothing to do with humanity. Yet we're all so busy trying to treat the symptoms of systemic issues that we can't seem to zoom out far enough to see that it's all connected. All different arms of the same monster that's squeezing the life out of us. Out of Earth. Welcome to another episode of Moneyless Society. Today's episode is special because I'm in Brooklyn recording with our guest in person the one and only Arjang Jama, a true activist, a disciplined systems thinker, a member of the Zeitgeist movement who has spoken at events and lectures all over the world, and a martial artist who has trained his intellect against this monstrous system that has made all life and all value its opponent. Arjang, welcome. Hi guys, thank you so much for having me on your show. Appreciate it. We're actually in the same room, but we're not in the same room because there's feedback and all that stuff, but it's, it's cool. It's, we're, we're building the movement. <laughs> we're making moves, coming together. So what do you do, Arjing? Tell us a little bit about yourself, your history. I become an activist about like 11 years ago because I watched uh, my like you know, initiation into learning and investing my sense of urgency to the world's problems came about in 2011 when I watched Zeitgeist uh, Addendum, which is the second documentary of Peter Joseph's three-piece trilogy. And uh, that really, like, really awakened me in a really big way, especially because it was different because of the fact that I've seen so many, so many documentaries. But that one had, gave you a really renewed sense of hope because it had really it seemed like very tangible solutions, you know, the second half of it. So, yeah, ever since then, I've been part of the Zeitgeist movement and I've been doing my best to uh, do whatever I can to spread the message and, you know, help other people be informed as to what we need to do as a society to be more sustainable. This shit's got to go. This is the work of Peter Joseph, founder of the Zeitgeist Movement, who's been working tirelessly to expose mechanisms and logical fallacies of the monetary system for over a decade now. His distinct articulation and artful expressions have become the inspiration for global systems change with an emphasis on structuralism. I myself was forever influenced, thereafter leading me to devote my existence to materializing a post-scarcity world. I think it's a good starting point to just to just say like, well, what's wrong with capitalism? Yeah, right. What's wrong with capitalism? It's such a great system, isn't it? It creates so much productivity and efficiency and innovation and, you know, the driver of hard work and ethics and all that and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, as you're asking, the main problem with the world, really, the main problem as I see it is the fact that we have outdated systems of economics outdated political systems, outdated, you know, overall just ideologies that are holding us back as a species uh, collectively. And these ideologies were formed in a different time and age that were required perhaps for that, for that age. Thousands of years ago is a different time than now. We didn't have the technology 
that could allow us to create an abundance for ourselves. So understanding how brutal the world was back then and that we lived in real scarcity, there was a need to have some you know, sense of laws and regulation and uh, work you know, like trade, right? The existence of trade for people to trade resources with each other for survival. That's understandable. But the capitalist system that we have today is really, it's not working anymore. It's showing its contradictions in many different ways. And so, yeah, the main problem is that we have a very outdated system of economics that's really not being discussed at all, and the profound impact it has on our culture and our personal lives, and on every level, from the micro to the macro, is really not being realized to its full extent. And instead, there's all these other things that are being scapegoated as the problems of humanity. You know, oh, human nature is just bad. Human nature is greedy. People are lazy. Um, Any alternative to capitalism is terrible, as we've seen throughout history, as they say. Um, so there, there's a lot of mythology out there that's holding people back. And I think the main problem is a lack of information, a lack of awareness. So it really comes down to raising awareness as to the critical points, you know, of what a society needs to go to. And yeah, so the important thing is educating people, really, you know, because there's no action to be really taken if people don't even know where they, need, where they have to go to begin with. If we react to this system as it is without understanding the true structure that mo- that moves it, without understanding the real laws of, of the, and the nature, the true nature of this system that govern it, we're just going to end up beating our heads against the wall. We're just going to end up continuing this system without even realizing it. I mean, even people who are activists, who are leftists, who are, you know, not even to start touch the you know, ineffectiveness of the Democrats, you know, they, they claim that they are railing against this system, but they really are it in every single way. Because they lack a true structural understanding of the structure of their own participation in this system and the system itself that, that's beyond them. And I mean, I think that goes so deeply into all of us. I mean, all of us have internalized this system to the bone. I mean, we grew up in it. We were cultured in it. And that's the whole point that people miss when they sort of make these arbitrary dualities between good people, bad people. Oh, these are the bad guys. The good guys are this. The bad guys. Are this. It's not about good people and bad people. It's about Everybody was conditioned into this system. They were born into this system, and it molded them into the way that they are. Jeff Bezos and all these billionaire villains, which are you know true Bond villain people that, that are sociopathic on a massive level, they were conditioned to be that way. Hell yes. <laughs> they were brought up in a system that incentivized them at every turn to become that way. So it's not like they went against you know what everybody in the society said was right and good. They did exactly what they were told to do, and that's what got us where we are. And I think so many people don't have that understanding, that that pure structural understanding. And I think that's actually the kind of the broader topic that I really wanted to help people understand as a solution. There's a definition where it it pertains to the structure of evolution, the structure of our biology, the way that our brains work. But there's also the structure of our society, the way that the, the way that society is structured that makes it the, that makes it the way that it is. And I think that the way the, the reason so many people fall short of changing this system is because they don't actually touch on the real structure of it. They just they're just moving the face around. They're shifting the mask. They're not going deep. They're not going to the bone. One of the best ways I've heard it summed up was, uh, uh, you know, operant conditioning essentially is what is what it is, is people are going to end up doing what their society, what their environment constitutes is best for themselves essentially, you know, in their own self-interest. So if their environment, their society, their socioeconomic system uh, tells them that selfishness, greed, capitalism, hoarding, uh, exploitation, all those mechanisms are in their own best self-interest, you know, then the psychological, you know, uh, interpretation of uh, operant conditioning just tells you that 
that is essentially the way people are going to act if society presents those things as incentives, uh, you know, for individuals to do. Yeah, for sure. Like on a on an individual human behavioral level, that's definitely true. And also, like, I guess when we talk about the broader perspective of structuralism and the zeitgeist movement, you know, understanding how parts of a system interact with each other to produce certain outcomes that can only be viewed when you when you view the system through the interactions of the different elements of that system instead of looking at individual parts so capitalism modern just modern intelligentsia and academics everything in today's society really on the intellect, on a personal as well as institutional level is looked at in a hyper reductionist manner as really is put really well by peter joseph he explains that we're all too isolated in our way of thinking isolated in our approach and we're not looking at how our system simply, when it's put into interaction with a dynamic changing world, it just does not produce good outcomes over the long term. And you cannot uh, achieve any kind of environmental sustainability. You cannot achieve any kind of social justice or social you know, equitability in this world when a system inherently, structurally, right, structurally produces certain outcomes. So the way the system runs through a competitive infinite growth model it's never in, in a, like a system of debt, right? Creating debt, you know, money is actual value being debt itself. That kind of system is always going to create class antagonism and poor and the, and the rich as a mathematical guarantee. It's not like, you know, it's not based on morality, you know, the meritocracy system of like, oh, you know, it's those who worked the hardest who got that, whatever they wanted. Yes, there's some truth to that, you know. However, like Matt said, you can only behave so much outside of the conditioning of your society. And from what I see, the society that we have today, for the most part, highly disadvantages and disproportionately does not provide opportunity to most people to be able to actually make ends meet in a comfortable manner for themselves. So on that level, on a class antagonist level, no. Looking through a structural perspective, the solution for our, our problem would not be to, you know, give people more money or create more jobs or, you know, create more equality money-wise. Sure, as a transition step, yes. But... The mechanism that creates the inequality needs to be eliminated. And that is the entire edifice of monetary mechanics, market system, and all that. That needs to be addressed. And that's what structuralism really does. It gets to the core of the problem. Not to mention, lastly, like the environmental issues that we're having. That's the ma major problem. Climate change and all that. That's all a result of a system that's based on infinite growth. And also the fact that because uh, it's a system that through the political system, companies can gain power and leverage for themselves. Because again, everything's up for sale. So is uh, legislation up for sale. So because of that, corporations that have been around for a long time, it's called institutional self-preservation. So corporations that have been around for a long time, like oil companies, they're going to do their best to make as much money as they can before they let, let uh, any space for renewable energy to come in there. So they've already done their damage. They've already done their ravaging of the planet, you know. But that's because of our lack of us to understand market economics as a structurally failed system, not like, oh, it's that company's fault, you know. No. So that's... Just as a general introduction, that's really what structuralism is, you know. And structuralist perspective is the way to really properly diagnose, analyze, and then provide a solution to our world's problems. So I have a question for you, too. In regards to um, structuralism, you know, in the context of, uh, you know, moneyless society, resource-based economy, all that, uh, we talk about systems thinking a lot, right? It seems to me like structuralism is essentially kind of another way to say systems thinking or a way to look through that lens, essentially. Am I off the mark there? Is there kind of a difference between structuralism and systems thinking? Or, no, or when you say the two similar. things, 
Yeah, are you kind of talking about one and the same thing there for the most part? Yeah, systems thinking, structuralism, you know, like, uh, yeah, a structuralist is a systems thinker, you know, as far as I know, that's what it is. So language can be very com uh, confusing. And I think Peter, Peter Joseph is pretty good with, uh, I guess, being innovative in his level of communication. I, I personally like the way he communicates. So he came up with the term structuralist, which is great. And it's not, I think he came up with it. I think something that Gandhi talked about, the idea of structuralism, he touched upon those things. So yeah, you know, language is a very complex thing and it can be often a barrier, but we try to create labels that are um, the easiest to make associations with and, and, you know, to be able to transmit information easier. So that's really, that's that really what communication is. So well, there's an interesting uh, dimension of, uh, to dive into there and just linguistics in general. And that, that the words that I say are completely different to the words that, that you interpret them. I mean, it's like if we don't all agree on these terms, and I think it, as a filmmaker, as, a, as an interviewer, I think sometimes the best questions come from just asking somebody, like, what does this mean? A very simple thing, like, what does love mean to you? What is fear? You know, what is structuralism? What is capitalism? All of these words, because it's like people, the words, you know, the term structural or systemic racism is it proliferates the media cycle. It proliferates our political discourse, but people don't understand what it means. So it's like people say, oh, we need to end systemic racism. Like you got people like Nancy Pelosi that are saying, we need to end systemic racism. It's like, well, what's the system that's causing that, Nancy? What is the system that is causing this racism? But they, and they won't answer that. They won't, they, they're using these words that just mean nothing, you know? And that's, that's a really interesting angle of the corruptibility of us, the, the way that we are rationalizing beings and not rational beings that, you know, people murder in the name of love, people murder in the name of Jesus Christ, all of these things, all this evil has been done in the world because it, it's like the words themselves come separately. I mean, language itself is only, it's a relatively new thing for, for the human, the human being. I mean, it's, it's supposedly, it's only 35,000 years old and there have been perfectly preserved human beings that you wouldn't look twice at if they had a shave and a haircut, if they were sitting next to you on a bus from 100,000 years ago. So it's like this language thing, we still don't really have the hang of it, even though it's kind of like our surfboard that we navigate consciousness with. Right, and I think also just kind of learning about systems thinking in general um, is, is pretty, is, is kind of a large step for a lot of people in this process too. That one leap in general, I think, can open a lot of doors for people just to, just to start to see the way all these different systems interact with each other, you know, and, and how, like you were saying, Arjing earlier, like we're, we're not isolated, you know, nothing, nothing is in a vacuum, right? All these different uh, institutions and organizations and systems and structures that are throughout society, they all interact with each other in so many different ways that, uh, you know, it's really hard to comprehend or even try to list out all, all the different in interactions and relationships that they have. Um, another thing I was kind of interested in, in talking about for a second was the, uh, like you were saying, in, in systems theory, I, I've heard a lot about uh, Donella Meadows in particular and uh, the leverage points, right? That you can intervene in a system, places to inter intervene in a system of, uh, you know, greater and greater leverage. And I would think like, like you were talking about with the, um, you know, Nancy Pelosi es essentially saying, you know, we can, we can. We, we talk about systemic racism and things like that, but we're not addressing the underlying cause. I don't think we're going far deep enough in those leverage points, essentially. Like, there's a list of 12 leverage points. Uh, you know, they go from essentially kind of like 
they they start out with just like manipulating numbers within the system, you know, like increasing taxes or, uh, you know, giving more money to poor people and things like that. And, and they're manipulating just kind of smaller things within this system's point of view. But when you when you start to go further and further down that scale, uh, you know, then you start manipulating things that have greater effects over. Uh, you know, larger areas and more essentially like one change can create changes across multiple areas just by having that one root change, you know, and that's the way I view the monetary system being it's almost like the purpose of the system, essentially, you're changing, which is this one of the strongest leverage points on that scale, right? We're taking the purpose of the system from exponential growth, or just, you know, individual organizational domination of the world, which essentially, I think is what most corporations goal is just to you know, get as large as they can and keep increasing their market share, keep on making profit for their shareholders, keep growing. Well, they keep have gaining. to they, or they'll die, you know. Right, exactly. That's, they stop moving, that's, they'll die. Right. That's the goal of Amazon and Facebook, you know, just keep increasing market dominance, keep, you know, increasing profit and and, uh, and, and all those sorts of things. Um and that's the purpose, right? That's What's the purpose interesting of the is system. That it's, so, it's a reactive if, goal. It's it's not an intentional goal. It's not like right, it, exactly. that's all of their goal altogether. But yeah, and, and so the goal is to go and change that leverage point, to change that purpose of the system from absolute growth and domination, which is kind of a byproduct of the monetary system and not even intentional, like you said, to an intentional goal. You know, like like uh, you know, one community global's uh, standard of the highest good of all, for instance, right? That's an intentional, sustainable goal that kind of encompasses all these other sorts of things. You were talking about a lot of topics, but like Donella Meadows, uh, she I read her book called Limits to Growth, and it's interesting. I think Peter got a lot of some of his inspiration of his five key transition steps from that from uh, Donella's work because uh, she had a, she had another book called thinking in systems. I read that one too. It was a good book talking about the leverage points and how when you make a significant change in one area, it can cascade over to several other unexpected areas. So we see that actually happen in nature. Like it's called a trophic cascade, I think, where the keystone species, its introduction to an area where it was actually previously extinct, uh, makes a dramatic impact on all the parts of that ecosystem. So like, for example, with the wolves, I think it was in Yellowstone, they reintroduced the wolves. The The absence of the wolves caused the drying of the river because all the herbivores ate all the grass and the grass kept the banks uh, together. And because of the, the desertification of the, ve the vegetation, the banks kind of closed in, caved in, and the river died. When the wolves came back, everything changed. You know, basically, long story short, it can, you can see the same thing in economics and human society in that localized food production, big major economic transition step. Instead of shipping avocados from Mexico, you can grow it right here in, in California or even in New York, hydroponic vertical farm systems using our own uh, energy. You do that, well, what, what happens? Not only are you preserve environmental, you know, you don't waste energy, you don't destroy the environment, you also reduce the, dramatically reduce inequality because the very mechanisms of globalization, of trading things all over the world, which is completely unnec unnecessary, that only happens because of the pursuit of profit. And what does that do over long term? It only scalps more money to the top of the pyramid and makes other people impoverished, you know, because the only reason you're shipping things all over the world is because labor costs are cheaper overseas. So they're exploiting cheap labor, exploiting cheap land at the cost of the environment, at the cost of human dignity for just profits. So you, you dramatically make several changes to society, human awareness of the local uh, surroundings, of the local towns. They know where their food's coming from. 
dr dramatic reduction of inequality, dramatic increase of environmental sustainability, many things, you know, but localization would be a big one of them. So throughout this conversation so far, I've picked up on hints of things that we learn as regional coordinators and supporters of the Venus Project as well, uh, referring to relevant ed education, uh, systems thinking, uh, futurist blueprints for agriculture, and so on. Uh, and I understand that you have your affiliations with the Venus Project as well. What is most interesting to me when it comes to structuralism and the um, impact it's had on society, as uh, Marlo said, down to the bone, is even as we're all pursuing this post-scarcity protopia, we're still somewhat polarized. And you being affiliated with uh, Peter Joseph's movement and so familiar with the Venus Project's movement as well, how do you view your own your own position there. In my mind, I just see you uh, right there smack dab in the middle of both. And uh, and how do you think structuralism has played a part in polarizing even the people that are trying to reach the same goal? Yeah, I mean, my affiliation with them is that uh, I've worked with the Venus Project. I personally knew Jacques. Uh, you know, I knew Roxanne, close to them. I really love what they do. I have nothing but respect for Jacques and Peter. Um, I'm just like, yeah, as Peter says and as Jacques said, the labels that bring people together under the Zeitgeist Movement or the Venus Project are simply that. They're only labels. And we are essentially anti-establishment institutions that are looking to create a world where everything becomes emergent. There's no longer any institu established institutions. That's the beginning of the civilized age, as far as I see it, where there's no such thing as, you know, the preservation of vested interests, you know? So that's the really main thing of it. And it's unfortunate the Zeitgeist Movement and Venus Project went their own ways, but I think it's okay. That's the evolution of just everything in general, and that's totally fine. So just like Peter, I'm a person too. We're just trying to make change in the world. It's just good to stick with a way of thinking instead of any uh, association to labels or, you know, groupisms. So we want to get away from any kind of sense of tribalism and include everybody, hopefully one day, in a unified value system, everybody together. That's it, you know, just it's a train of thought. It really comes down to a way of thinking in the end. And that's the unfortunate truth with the like 99% of, unfortunately, I think 99% of activism out there, all these different groups, they're all trying to achieve particular goals, but they're not trying to achieve the overall goal of establishing an, a society that actually r runs on emergent thinking. So they're not trying to do that, unfortunately, all of them. You know, they're not engaged. They're not understanding that it really comes down to how you think first, not just taking action against some oil company. We are, in large part, all the part of the problem, as well as the solution. Every single person is. So there's only, but, there's, you know, there's just degrees to it. How much are we, you know, perpetuating the system? And how much are we fighting against it? There's degrees to, the, to everything. But the biggest thing you can liberate yourself from is changing the way you think. You know, that's why my channel is called The New Train of Thought. Well, I mean, that really brings, brings up the point of identity. And that, that, that gets into this, this internalization, the way that we internalize the structures of the system, that this, it's baked into us, that we are units within this thing creating itself. And we're vested in it. We have a vested interest. So many of us, I don't, <laughs> not anymore. I hope so. It, it's particles are in all of us. It's like this clogged up dryer lint covered filter, you know, that we all have particles of this system in us. We have it, it's, we have its spinach in our teeth still, and we need to go inward to find the ways that it has shaped the way that we think about the world and see ourselves and dismantle that. I think that is a big, that is one of the biggest parts of this work. And it's an interesting kind of feedback loop of change the system to create an environment to help uh, enable people to make these sort of belief, uh, these perceptual sort of shifts and this discover this introspection and actualize in these ways. But it's also like people need to actualize to affect that change. And I think 
that's that's really a, a central aspect of the work. That's the yin aspect of this work as, as, as the outer structure, changing the outer structures is the yang, that we need to stop, pe- we need to stop identifying with the labels of this system. We need to stop identifying with our job. The whole fight club rant, you're not your job. You're not your consumer cho- choices, you know? You're, you're not the, the things that you, that you eat. You're not your clothing. You're not the, and, and deeper than that, you're not your idea structures. I mean, so many people out there are, are just racing to reduce themselves to something, to a belief system. I'm a Christian. I'm a Marxist-Leninist. What, I'm a vegan, you know? And, and these are ultimately consumer choices. You know, it's, it's, it's like even a lot of the leftists I know, that a lot of anarchists I know, communists, whatever, whatever their label is, it's an identity. It's a, sort of, it's a sort of spiritual fashion statement. My friend Loner, who did our, uh, a lot of the music for our show and our theme, has a, a line in one of their songs that says, my identity is a fashion statement in a fascist state. <laughs> They're limiting themselves. Whenever you hold yourself to some kind of label association, you're limiting yourself. You know, Every label association eventually becomes its own form of ideological imprisonment. Because you eventually will hit a roadblock where things need to change and keep moving. And you're like, you know what? No, let's keep things the way they are. Because, oh, I've already had... Oh, I have an establishment now. I have, things, I have a following now for this thing that I'm doing. It's become big now. I can't let it go. That's what establishment thinking does, you know, and we want to be emergent. That's why it's like, man, how do I live my life? How do people live their lives when you know the things you know about the world? It goes, you know, being good in a lot of ways just goes against the market ethic in this world. So that's why it's like, yeah, but we got to walk a fine line in life. So emergent thinking, can you can you expound upon exactly what emergent thinking is and the print and the concept of emergence? I'm, I'm kind of familiar with it. I could, you know, I could probably give it a go myself. But I'm, I'm always curious to hear other people's take on it. And, um, you know, how how they kind of explain that concept. Um, yeah, you know, uh, it's just the yeah. acceptance that everything changes over time, and that you can't hold something back, uh, you know, in a static state. So, for example, if the institutions of like, I don't know, um, aviation right if they were fully emergent if they have these industries running you know doing you know airline industry the transportation industry all the things they're doing they are running on extremely old systems these are all outdated technology that are not that have not been updated but they're not been updated because there's really not much benefit to be had to updating things so much technologically you know unless it brings a profit it won't be done you know so that's like one example you know of how we're not really like you know I mean, look at L.A., for example. For a 21st century city to have people stuck in traffic for hours a day trying to go from one place to another when they should have like been there like in five minutes but stuck, stuck in traffic for two hours, that's an example of the fact that our society is running on establishments. They're not really running fluidly under change constantly. You know, like what Jacques used to talk about, you know, the cities of the tomorrow will be straitjackets. You know, whatever things I'm designing will be straitjacket for the kids of the tomorrow. It's true because everything changes. And right now... We're, you know, living in New York. I'm taking a subway that's really old and dilapidated. It should have been updated a long time ago, completely transformed. There should be no traffic on the streets. There should be nothing, you know, no wait time. So that's just an example, you know, from from medicine to agriculture to food production to manufacturing, everything to our school systems, to the way we behave. You know, for example, I'm a personal trainer, so I've done martial arts for a long time. I was a very competitive athlete for many years. I was very competitive, you know, but that, that was my delusion and distortion, living in a capitalist system. And then when I had my awakening, I'm like, okay, I still want to train and be healthy, but it kind of runs counter now to me competing as a martial artist and all that. So I'm like, man, it's really crazy. So like, you know, on that level, we're not being emergent. So like people are like, oh, competition is, is natural for people to be competing. You can't fight that. 
they don't understand. They don't really understand how established our way of thinking is in terms of even our, the way we treat each other. Like, we have all competitive sports. We have no cooperative sports. That's a sign that we're not emergent as a society. Because if modern research shows that competition creates hostility, inferiority, class antagonism, you know, in every level, then you'd be like, okay, let's accept the new information. Time to change everything. No more, like, you know, no more stupid games of people competing with each other. All this attention, all this money being paid of these two people, idiots, punching each other in the face when we should be using that same money and energy to solve problems, you know? So that's just an example, you know? I can go on for days about that, but emergent, that's basically emergent thinking applied to society, you know? It doesn't have the feedback that it needs from the system, and, and it doesn't update itself fast enough, essentially. Like the capitalist mechanism for profit and all of these things hold back that emergent aspect. I, I, I would tend to say something like that. You think that it's would be correct? I mean, it's a monstrously yeah. inefficient system that is, it, I mean, that's what it touts it, its, its uh, successes as, that it's able to churn out 10,000 pieces of garbage made out of oil that are just going to end up back in the ocean. You know, it's like, it, it's not efficient. Fundamentally, it's not able to get people to work on time. It's not able to keep the trains on time. And that's, that's the whole kind of corporate fascist gambit that they're efficient at what they do. They're efficient at ruthlessly taking people out in, in a competitive environment, but they're not efficient at meeting human needs. And I think one of the big aspects of competition that, that really just limits us so much is the stress that it creates is that it's it's a monstrous detractor to public health that it, it it eats our bodies alive i mean the amount of sickness that is generated just by stress by by our bodies we you know it's like we we're in this arbitrary construct of money we're not in a a life or death survival situation where we're you know uh hunting a deadly animal in the woods or, or being hunted or at war, yet we feel like we're at war all the time because we are. We're being waged war on by this construct of money, that if we don't have money, we will die. It is it is a, a sheer survival mechanism for us to acquire currency. And so all these crazy abstractions are generated out of that. And, and it, it's like we're not on the verge of dying, but our brain thinks we are because we have so internalized, again, this, 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 um, I'm seeing this sort of theme develop here. I mean, it's, it's looking at the, the structuralism of our, of our very being, our identities, the things that we identify, that our body, it, we condition it so deeply to believe that we need this money stuff, this paper shit or this digital debt backed, whatever it is that uh, we need to live so deeply that our body starts to think that we're dying if we don't have it. So it's, it's, it's destructive uh, on the deepest level within us all. Our, our own infrastructure is crumbling. Our own internal transit system, our, our blood vessels are clogged. They're not running on time. We can't get energy through our bodies. You know, Arjang and I were just talking about how the water is poison. You know, it's like, which is worse? The, the water that's out of the tap that's got lead in it and all these poisons and microplastics and things, and things like that, or the water in the plastic bottle that's supposedly purified, but that's a universal solvent. So it's breaking down the oil. So you're drinking, you're drinking plastic, you know? And all of these these cascading destructive health effects that they, they they have these these cascading negative effects you know and, and it's like drinking poison water it's going to end up lowering your iq it's going to end up making you less effective in every single way it's going to contribute to your physical health and your emotional health and your mental health it's all connected it's all connected it's all connected i, I can't say it enough i can't stress it enough and that's why like discovering a term like structuralism or systems thinking like that it's it's like I've gone through many belief systems in my life. I've 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 tangoed with many spiritual practices and beliefs and you know mystical, occult, esoteric philosophies, you know, nihilism, absurdism, Taoism, all of these different things. And it, it really feels like the truest uh, pursuit of truth in this moment to recognize the structures of this world. And I think when you once you see it, 
once you see that it's not individual people, it's not individual failure. It's because that's all that's all in individualism, which is the side effect of the system. It's it's not all an individual failing you. When somebody cuts you off on traffic, it's like, oh, that individual person fucked me over. It's like, no, no, you that person is in an, a completely alien stressful, arbitrary construct of traffic that shouldn't exist. That person shouldn't have been an asshole to you in the first place. They were put into an unnatural circumstance that made them that way. So starting to see people that way, it's, it completely transforms morality. It, cha it, cha it takes judgment, so much judgment out of the equation. Oh, I'm better than you. I'm better than you for this. It's like, I'm better than you because I have this education, because I have this awareness, this information. But it's like, well, how did I have that information and awareness? Because I was exposed to it through education, through community, through other people. And, and that's, that's really what it all comes down to. The word stupid, you know, oh, that person is stupid. It's like, well, most people, I think we all pretty much have the capability to exist, to live, to do well, and to cooperate. There aren't just people that are shat out, malformed, and fucked up and wrong. But there are so many people, especially in America, that are not taught how to be a person at any, at any point. And one of the big frustrating elements that keeps change from coming is that these people who don't know better, who can't see the system, they can't see that they're a part of a system, identify so deeply with it that when you talk about the traffic, when you, even when you talk shit about traffic, things that everyone hates, they take it personally. Like the conservatives that, you know, it's like they will, they will you know, they'll defend police. They'll put the flag of police this, this fundamentally terroristic organization that nobody wants to interact with the police. Nobody wants to get pulled over by the cops, but they worship them because they identify with these structures. Bootlicking, you know, these people are sad because of the people in the uh, lower middle classes, the ones who like, you know, I mean, they deem their hard work as respectable because they had to really struggle in the system to work hard, to make money and provide for their families. So they find it offended, you know, offensive when someone tells them, you know, oh, the whole system is rigged because like, He's like, you know, I played by the system of the rules and all that. I worked really hard, you know. So while we're still on the subject of structuralism, um, it, to me, it seems like it's an arguable to state that today's structuralists base all of their ideologies on the premise of morality. Um, and, and within all the things you all have been talking about in this episode today, the, the theme that is overbearing to me is uh, rationality, uh, as juxtaposed to morality. So what would you say to that as far as how society views rationality versus morality and how morality is really uh, such a, a huge pillar in all of the destructive arms of the socioeconomic model that we're living under today, those in my mind could all be eradicated simply by using rational thought processes but as we know in today's system everything is based on good for i'm sorry good versus evil and good happens to be synonymous with uh, acquisition so it's kind of a loaded statement but to but pull it all back down is not the arbitrary uh definition of morality the foundation of structuralism and is that not in in some form or fashion what really propagates this never-ending uh pursuit of quote-unquote happiness and and acquisition and and growth yeah the entire morality-based system i mean everything is viewed in isolation and we're not you know systems thinking is not being applied to society you know so therefore um this meritocracy system is going to keep running until people realize that yes your behavior can only change so much when a system requirement is different so 
you know, on that level, you know, we can't do much about it. We have to just raise awareness to these issues. The root of our immorality is structural. It, it is a failed vision or failed version of rationality that we have this, this failed form of morality that is adherent to an, the operant conditioning of a completely phony, completely illogical, irrational, monstrous system. That what is, more, what is moral and true and just is what conforms to a system that is antithetical to life itself. So I think what Mando is kind of trying to get at is that structuralism is a, a kind of new rationalism as a balm to a false morality. You know, like what, what somebody from the Zeitgeist movement called rational benevolence. So like, yeah, morality has to be tied to some kind of physical referent. It can't just be something you just throw out there loosely. Because of that, it has to be tied to something. And modern research on anthropology and human behavior, these things have shown us a blueprint kind of of how you can actually create the right kind of environment so that people do not become a victim of their own circumstance, like what's happening today with, the, you know, you're talking about before about the ways the system hurts people. Well, you know, there's many different levels that it hurts people. On one level that it hurts people is deprivation, the most obvious, you know, the fact that we have so many people in poverty. So deprivation is one part of it. Um, and then there's all, the other part of it, which is often overlooked, which is can be, you know, almost as destructive, I would say, um, is the social deprivation. You know, the fact that we just create so much, we're just constantly poisoning ourselves with the wrong kind of social environment, which is based on hierarchy, dominance, and fighting, you know, tribalism. So political parties against political party, you know, everyone's fighting each other. So there's no unity. And you mentioned how we are being poisoned essentially by the system and that was mentioned earlier in this episode too and knowing that you're a fitness and health venturist um how important would would you say how would you articulate how important it is uh to be able to maintain uh, physical and mental well-being uh to survive in the system and and also how this system directly affects our our mental and physical well-being how do you see that manifested in your line of work particularly um i mean I'll be honest. I'll be very brutally honest. Uh, I'm a fitness coach. I've trained maybe hundreds of people at this point, and um, it's good to maintain physical fitness in this world. But, you know, I train a lot of people who have become physically fit, but their value system is very distorted. So I think the <clears throat> basis for health and fitness starts with how you think about the world. It has to start from there because you cannot be just completely on a conscious level detached from reality and what's really going on, you know? Um, yeah, so on that level, I feel like fitness is multivaried and is very comprehensive, and it is, there's many layers to it. So people who can be very fit, you know, the whole fitness buzz, all the whole world, Instagram people, Instagram models, they're all very sick people. Their value systems are very distorted and outdated, and they're basically damaging themselves and their children and everybody around them over time. They're just polluting themselves with false, destructive ideologies and valuing nonsense, you know, valuing the most arbitrary, immature, childish crap. You're making beautiful, valid points that I didn't even account on you uh, articulating, and I'm so glad that you did, but more so in the vein of when you take on clients, uh, in what ways do you see the structuralism of, of uh, the, the socioeconomic model that we're using manifest in their health? Uh, I guess to say oh, yeah, it more okay. directly. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's actually cool. I mean, because I know the things I know about structuralism and, you know, looking at systems and stuff. I view every person like they come in, they tell me, like, I ask them to sit down and tell me about their life and their goals and what they do for work and all that. And I learn a lot about their socioeconomic background. 
and I, you know, I'm like, okay, well, gee whiz, no, this this person's o- overweight or, or they have hip pain or, you know, they have compulsive problems that they can't stop eating bad food and they're tired all the time. You know, I've, I've seen all kinds of different symptoms of people who are just tired and being down by the system. And like, you know, yeah, the only reason they come to me is because the system is predated on them. And there's a, there's a market a market for fitness, I guess, whatever. In any kind of functional society, nobody would need a personal trainer. They would, don't know, they would know how to take care of themselves. So my job would be completely obsolete in the future, and it should be obsolete, you know, in the future. So Right. Yeah, and something to add on to Excellent. that, too, I, I think, is it takes money to see a personal trainer also. I mean, imagine a lot of people out there that don't have the money, uh, you know, to see a personal trainer. I would imagine... It even goes a lot further with a lot of the people out there that can't, uh, you know, really afford this sort of thing. I mean, a lot of people are kind of, I guess, I guess you would say privileged in order to be able to afford those sorts of things. But there's a lot of people who can't also and who simply don't have access to that sort of thing, too. And so that's one of the kind of structural, you know, systemic flaws of the system as well is that those services are only available to those who can really afford it. It's it, even it, it's not even part of the healthcare system. Uh, for most I mean, people, you know, when when in reality, it's probably one of the most foundational aspects of health. You know, your community, yeah. your environment, the exercise you get, the food that you eat, uh, you know, the the hierarchical systems that you're exposed to on a daily basis, the stress that you're exposed to, your job, your environment, the chemicals, your all of that. You know, it's all it's all very holistic towards your health and and uh, wellness and everything. Uh, and there's just so many aspects there that aren't you know available to change for a lot of people, and that's that's one of the that's uh, to me that's one of the foundational flaws of our current system. I mean, and to to your credit, Arjang, I think that the uh, the there's a, it's it's a chicken and egg kind of thing with personal awakening or personal awareness or or that deeper intellectual awareness that I feel like if you were a certain level of unhealthy, if you were at a certain pure degradation of sickness, of, of an inability of, of dehydration, your brain, not getting the, the water that you need to live of, of, of not getting the nutritional content. I mean, the, the food that we eat in this country is garbage. It's literally more poisonous than it is nutritional. I mean, it's just starch and protein and carbohydrates. It's just sugars ripping you apart inside. I mean, if you are, if you are at a certain level of malnutrition, your brain does not function. You physically cannot uh, delay gratification. You, you cannot ideate. You cannot imagine things in an abstract way. If you are so completely deprived of nutrients that your brain is operating like your phone's battery at 5%, you just can't. You, you're, you're not able to. Your, your system will crash if you are exposed to information like that. So it's a very interesting feedback loop of like, I think that it is liberatory. I mean, and, and this is, this is, uh, this kind of ties into yoga i mean why why the movement and the asana is kind of the first level of yoga where you have to get into the body you have to sort of purify all of the aspects of the i mean because because like toxins are stored in the body trauma is stored in the body there is so much in the body in the physical form that is a manifestation of the body and the brain i mean the brain and the body are not separate there's not a separation between body and brain you have an enteric nervous system in your gut you have all these frequency receptors in your heart and your solar plexus all over the place you have you have a sense sense organs and sense equipment in your feet that are touched to your ears. I mean, all these meridians and everything like that, that that people have understood about the body for thousands of years that we just completely ignore and don't think about at all. Like, oh, that's not, we're beyond that. We know better. We know how to, you know, give people a pill for any time that they feel sad, as if that's addressing the deep roots of why people feel sad in the first place. 
So it's it's like there's a liberatory aspect of freeing the body, free the body, then free the mind. I mean, it, it's like one of those things. It's like, do we do we actualize as individuals to change the structural system that collectively affects all of us, or do we change the system that collectively affects all of us to change the individual? I think it's kind of a, a, a spiral, or it, it's 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 a give and a take. It, it's it's unsure which begins and which ends. You know, you know, it, it's it's like one of those un, unexpected effects that giving people money has on their mental health and things like that, you know? That when we make people healthy, I do think that they will gain more awareness or they'll be more read- readily open or their mind will be more fit. It's, it's, I, yeah, I just have something to add on to that too. It's interesting that you said that, you know, that it is, in my view, I think it kind of is a spiral like you were saying as well. It reminds me of spiral dynamics, right? Uh, to where you kind of, I don't, I don't know if you guys are familiar with spiral dynamics and in, in, in much, but... Uh, it's kind of this uh, up upward spiral of human and societal evolution, essentially, to where you you go from earlier and earlier historical points of view, uh, how you know systems relate with the world and the environment and society and things like that. And as your view progresses through time, uh, you start to integrate more and more of the information that's available to you through through new uh, paradigms and through learning and through new, you know, societies and, uh, you know, new socioeconomic structures and things like that. Yeah, I just kind of wanted to touch on spiral dynamics a little bit. Are, are you familiar with spiral dynamics at all, RJ? I think you were nodding your head a little bit. Yeah, I know a bit about that. Not like a whole lot, but I mean, I've heard about it. I've read, you know, works associated with that. But, um, you know, it's all ties into the same stuff. So what you were saying before about the fact that our system disproportionately dis- deprives people from the best of life amenities and services. So, yeah, most people can't afford good transportation. They can't afford good food, good shelter. They can't afford, you know, good family life because of the fact that they're deprived. People's quality of life and the the quality of goods they can buy is artificially proportional to their, to their level of income, you know, based on our current system artificially because there's really no way to mathematically quantify how you could justify people being deprived when you have food that's being produced, you know, that's rotting away, being thrown out pretty much. Our, you know, our food transport system is very wasteful. The way things are done in transit is very wasteful because of the fact that we ship things across so far. So having like, for example, I have a local food co-op is like a, you know, decent transition step, not a solution, but basically, yeah, on that level, we have to create an environment that doesn't deprive people. So yeah, you know, um, and oftentimes uh, information is the key. So people being more educated is the way to liberate ourselves. I see that happening in the future. I think in the future, what's going to happen is people are going to break apart from the system slowly and they're going to start doing their own thing. Uh, It's going to be a lot of fragmentation going on in the world, but um, there's going to be some unification eventually. I I just see these ideas eventually breaking through. There's no way they can't break through. They'll eventually, they just make too much sense for it not to break through. And the way things are going right now is not going to work too, too much longer, you know? So, yeah. So we just got to keep pushing forward and learn new ways to communicate to other people th- this information. Be better at, you know, be better at presenting this stuff to other people. That's what we need to be doing more. And learning, improving ourselves and our level of communication. That's what we should be doing. That's one thing that I did for a long time, obsessively. Sat down and, like, literally read all the book, you know, I, every single person that Peter Joseph interviewed, I found them and I, you know, ordered all their books and I read them, you know, to make sure that I was well aware of what's going on because I wanted to be really sure that this stuff was on point. 
I was being honest with myself. I wasn't just like, because, oh, the, the guy sounds nice. Jacques Fresco sounds nice. And because of the fact that since I was a kid, I never liked capitalism since I was a kid. I always found issues with the way things were, but I could never like, you know, oh, I thought, oh, just, just, just the way things have to be, right? You can't change it. So when I came across the addendum, it was very motivating for me to keep talking shit about the system. And uh, everybody around me told me, family and friends, like, oh, this, is, this stuff is bogus. There's no way it's actually valid. Prove it to us. So I was like, you know what? To prove it, I'm going to make sure this stuff is damn real. So I read all the books from the people, James Gilligan, Robert Sapolsky, all the people associated with that, Gabor Mate, you know, John Perkins talking about the uh, Confession of the Hitman, looking at all the stuff, like looking at all the institutions associated with all the things that happened, for example, in Indonesia, his first project that he went there, you know, working for the World Bank. So all these things that happened, like I wanted to be sure. I think that's what every, like that's the biggest message I can give. Every person should be sure on themselves that this stuff is legit. Don't take anyone's word for it. Do your own research. Read the books, the New Human Rights Movement. Read the book, the Realizing a New Train of Thought. You know, the best that money can't buy. I'm sure Jacques, the Venus Project, have new books now. So read all those things. You should hold yourself accountable. If you care about sustainability, if you really are gung ho about it, well, where's your research? Have you done the research? If you haven't done the research, you're not doing. You're not doing the. You know, the most you should be doing, because any person right now has the potential to change other people. That's your role. So if that's your role, you got to know what you're doing. Watch all the documentaries, read all the books, look at the papers, look at the research studies. You got to make sure, you know, so somebody pins you on it. Even if it takes you a few hours, you go on your emails or whatever you have the information, you pull it up and you show it to them. You know, that's the way we can combat things at a raw level, you know, to make sure that look, no, there is a right and there is a wrong way to do things. Okay, sorry. It's not all about opinions. So that's what I would say. And those are excellent points you make, uh, basically exemplifying how we have to get away uh, from the paradigm of um, uh, belief systems, you know, and, and opinionated ways of, uh, of going throughout our lives and affecting other people, denying the responsibility we have in propagating our opinions that are based on intangible knowledge that are rooted in belief systems that obviously are just destructive and, again, irrational. Marlo, were you saying, uh, you were saying someone, one of our guests is running for mayor. Is that RJ? Uh, no, with, no, no, no. Okay, sorry. I, I'm getting, no. I'm getting guest confused. Much, I much more, much different, much more eccentric uh, character there. <laughs> sorry, sorry about Dude, that, RJ. I'm getting people <laughs> running confused. for mayor. Are you kidding me? Uh, I'm the most out there person. Like, no way. <laughs> I, I would not get along with anybody. <laughs> Believe it or not, anybody I think we're gonna cut. There. We'll cut this out of the show. Um, unless. I don't know. But yeah, the, the person that I'm no running for me, I'll show you the video. Yeah, I guess we'll edit that out because I'm definitely even more know. out there in a way. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. Oh, I remember you mentioning him now. I've been in, you know, not, I don't want to talk too much about it, but I've been in like these meetings with these business people, uh, like friends and affiliates, and they're all like talking about, oh, like how so, you know, whatever. New York City is so civilized and advanced. It's a financial capital. I'm like, it's a freaking mess. And, you know, I just get a piece of paper. I draw a circular design of the Venus Project. I'm like, this is how a city would actually run, not the stupid crap you call whatever. What is this inefficiency? Massive inefficiency. People sitting in jobs, wasting their life away, pushing pushing numbers around that actually doesn't create anything in the real world. So it's amazing. And uh, so that, on that level, I think it's good to like. I wish I had the opportunity to go on TV and and just you know blow this stuff up because I would really do a great job. I mean, it's just all about opportunity. And this stuff is so unpopular with the mainstream, you know, I agree. anybody, any kind of mainstream thinking. They don't care about this kind of stuff we're talking about. We're not there yet. It's going to take a long, long, long time oh, before care. it gets there, in my view, I think. But, but it's you got to put the effort in. And uh, they care, slowly, but it's slowly things are going to push forward, hopefully. But, yep.
Well, we don't we don't need to go on TV, Arjang, because we're gonna make our own film. <laughs> We've yeah, been talking but, but, about uh, a, a really, not, a really, really la exciting. Lastly, add, uh, it's not hopeless, right? So we guys got to keep pushing forward. Even if you change your neighbor, change your friend, your family, you made a big impact on the world because you know they can change a few other people in Cut their that. life. You know, it really, it really just comes down to infecting people, right? Infect people with these ideas. It's really what tr transmit the data. You know, be a virus, so to speak. Just spread out and you know get these ideas out there. Right, and it's like like you were saying too. I think a lot of it's going to kind of um, come apart with just kind of this people. That's a good way to put it. People breaking away from the system, you know, and doing their own thing. I think that is kind of uh, a good way to describe. I think what a lot of people are kind of trying to do, aspiring to do, you know, through creating alternative systems, alternative communities. I mean, essentially, that's you know one of our goals eventually is to kind of break apart from the current system, you know, and function within it, but you know, create alternative structures that. Uh, essentially provide people with you know universal basic goods and services like you know housing food electricity water uh you know all the essentials clothing whatnot uh you know as a part of as a part of a community kind of just more of a general community reciprocity uh sort, sort of thing we need to break apart from the system from because the, the system is breaking apart at the seams it's cracking up like pangea and, spl and splintering off into all these separate separate islands of, of desolation and waste. You have people on one island who have massive, enormous wealth, who have the ability to fly at will, who have the ability to do what a king or a god in another time and place wouldn't be able to do. You have people who don't think about money at all, you know? You have so many, you have a whole class of people who they don't even, money isn't, money doesn't exist at all, really, you know, if you really get down to it, but it really doesn't exist for them. They don't they don't question what anything costs. Even something like a business going bankrupt, it doesn't mean anything to them. You know, like Trump, you know, he's a successful businessman. He bankrupted almost every company he ever ran. It's like money doesn't function to these people in the way that it functions for us. So we live on a completely different island, isolated, individualized, atomized, cut off from what it truly means to be a, a person on that, uh, that other island. And there's this, there's this whole new level of tribalism that uh, extends across class lines. And I, I, I mean, you could really make the argument that all forms of uh, alienation and xenophobia, they all have a sort of classist sort of uh, seed in them, that they, they, they emerge from these differences in class, in, you know, uh, in terms of like one tribe, why, why would a tribe war with another tribe? If they had abundance, they wouldn't. And, and, and you know, there's so many studies and, and examples in, within nature, like the chimps and the bonobos, that the, the chimps and the bonobos are completely, almost, they're almost identical, you know, as animals. But the chimps live in a barren, scarce environment, and they kill each other, and they have these really primitive, competitive, dominator hierarchies. And then the bonobos, who live in an abundant forest, they just kind of, lang they linger, and they lay around, and eat fruit, and have sex, and they have a great life. They're basically the exact same being. They're, they're, they're just operantly different. Their conditioning is different. Their environment that they are reacting to is different. And I think that kind of applies to a lot of, um, you know, human history too. I think um, I've, I've kind of read that in areas of the world where natural food and game were abundant, uh, you know, that the essentially they, they didn't develop the systems of like currency and debt, uh, you know, that they did to where, you know, where food was less abundant, they developed agriculture, which in turn brought about those systems it brought about surplus and then private property and debt you know and things like that um you know it's kind of kind of dependent on where scarcity. they were in the world 
But yeah, agriculture. Yeah. I mean, agriculture itself. It's it's a it's it's a maladaption to you know the, those original affluent societies who basically had everything at their fingertips. Who I mean, if, if they did cultivate food, it was in a, a food forest sort of scenario, or they just knew how to forage and gather the the you know how to how to pluck from the garden of nature that they could never exhaust. So. You know, it, it's not an advancement. All of these things, like money is not an advancement. It's not a civilizing agent. It's a degradation of social order. It's a degradation and a, a regression from our true, true, our true nature. Just people, you know, should do their work, like I said. Research, learn more about the things we're talking about, hold themselves more accountable. That's a big part, you know. And, yeah, just keep pushing forward. I'm glad you guys are doing what you're doing to bring about effective change because we really need it. It's going to be definitely a worthy venture to keep going forward and putting these ideas out there. So, for sure. Well, we need strong personalities like you have. You know, we need people who understand how to how to rise up in the competitive ranks. We need we need to fight. You know, we're in a fight. We're in a battle of ideas. It's a, and truth will not always win if if you know we don't have strong speakers. If we don't have people who have the charisma and the confidence and the ability to get in the ring and 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 duke it out. I mean, the ideas, if, if they are like our weapons in this ring, they will they will win against the, the inferior technology of illogic and, you know, petty, cheap morality. But we need to continue to discipline ourselves. We need to train. We need to see this thing as a as uh, as pre- as pre- apprentice, a, a fellow guest said, as a spiritual warfare. It's a war of ideas. It's a war. It's a war for the soul of who we are. And we are not competitive. We are not inherently monstrous, you know, cannibalistic all devouring, senseless, irrational beings that would destroy their own earth to make a penny. We are cooperative, and I think we can't beat the competitive. The com- we can't beat these competitive people in a competitive construct in their game with their rules, with their falsehoods. We can't win, but we can completely transcend their game with a new game, with 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 a cooperative game, with a with a, a new kind of sport that isn't one team playing against the other. It's, it's all of us realizing this is a lot more fun when we play together and we'd get a lot more done. We do more. We get more. We grow more. We improve each other better when we're not angry at each other, when we're not uh, senselessly stressed out, when we haven't drunk so deeply of the falsehoods of this culture that we believe that that's who we are, that we, that we become reduced to these, these ribald spectators in this ridiculous, absurd coliseum. You know, and, and that's this sport, this sports team that we're that we are rooting for is who we are. We wear it on our chest every day. And it's like we're not even playing this game. And I think that's that's a great metaphor that just kind of arose spontaneously. But that's that's so many of these bootlickers or these people in the middle class or these people who, you know, they feel like they are that, that oh, capitalism is the system that, uh, you know, gave me my life. It's like you don't play this game. You're not a player. You are a spectator. And. There's not this enormous divide between the people who make the world and the people who participate and the people who just watch and live in it. And I want people to understand that. I need people to understand that. We, we all need to understand that, that we can participate in this life. We can create it. And it, to truly redesign this society is to make rationality, uh, education, free thought, actualization, the core principle of our society. Like That is what the purpose of society is. It's not to generate profit, to create jobs for all these, these silly, absurd externalities, these false prosthetic limbs that, that are you know, carrying the weight of our whole world. It's to be people. It's to be together. It's to figure out who we are and to figure out our strengths and our weaknesses and work together to make something better. Beautiful. I love it.
I, it's funny that you said go down swinging because I actually wanted to share something that one of our uh, mutual friends shared with me. Um, the the pessimist environmentalist is that what is that his Instagram? Uh, Alan Chornak. He posted a, a a lovely sentiment yesterday, and I won't read the whole thing because it is a little bit. Um, inciting but uh it basically uh and what we're doing <laughs> knowing here, alan it's probably uh, whether, incendiary very much so but but he sums up a great point and that is in whatever way we approach these issues we have to do it with the mindset that we are fighting for our lives and to save the world literally it's not a cinematic thing it's not a egotistical thing it's a factual thing like we are really fighting to save uh the world and 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 and, and its inhabitants uh you know, and, and transform what we have into something that's more sustainable and enjoyable, obviously. And so the post went something along the lines of, you can stop the trolley, and uh, the trolley being, uh, you know, uh, the climate crisis, capitalism, poverty, and what have you. But even if you got the trolley stopped, you still have to keep fighting. Because seriously, the state isn't going to wither away. No one is coming to save us. We have to, we have maybe like 20 years to reverse uh, what's happening and, and turn what we have back into an, inhab an inhabitable biosphere. Uh, Techno-fascism is already here. You, you have to fight back in some form or fashion. Uh, I'm not saying go out and, you know, riot and burn down buildings and stuff. I wouldn't say that. But we need Use to find those central choke faculty. points and stop the structure. Right, yes, you've got to use your intellectual fa uh, faculties, your empathetic faculties, your inborn, organic, innate ability to socialize. Stop feeding into the narratives that polarize people and, and just get over yourself and whatever it is that everyone's telling you to care so much about that are in the way of isms and just come together and move forward so that we can finally build this egalitarian society that will sustain us in the world. Arjun, you got some closing, closing remarks to go down swinging? Look, things are not pretty right now. Things are not heading in the right direction. We have a lot of environmental and social crises that are on the horizon. But we have to understand that the real battle is one of values. The real war comes down to informing our fellow man and woman with the right knowledge so that the manipulation tactics of the establishment are simply not going to work anymore. We need to be pushing for systemic kindness, which means really advocating for a society that takes into consideration everyone's needs as well as respecting natural limits and that can only be achieved through an uh, educated population so our goal should be really to reach a critical mass and really have a sense of compassion even for the for our oppressors because really when it comes down to it we're not fighting against anyone or any government or any corporation the real battle comes down to reflecting our own values and looking into ourselves to see how far we have to go in terms of our awareness and how we can strategize in ways to educate other people. An educated population, really, as Jacques Fresco used to put it, needs no control. With that said, I wish everyone the best of luck, and let's keep fighting. Let's keep presenting an alternative vision of the future that makes the existing power establishment obsolete. I'd like to thank Arjang for coming on the show today. He's become a great personal friend and collaborator. We are working together on a totally cutting-edge film that's breaking down a lot of this information and condensing it into a really stylish, dramatic form. So uh, keep a lookout for that. And uh, check out his YouTube channel, New Train of Thought. And you can go deeper on a lot of these concepts by checking out the films of Peter Joseph. 
Zeitgeist Addendum and Moving Forward especially, which are free on YouTube. This is someone working today who has broken down what the fuck is actually wrong with our world without any antiquated ideological baggage and synthesized a truly forward-thinking, scientific, holistic vision of how to make the transition and where we go from here. You don't find that every day. And help us grow this show and this movement by sharing our content and sharing our thoughts in the comments to help us beat the algorithm. And please, please, please subscribe to our Patreon for as little as five bucks a month. We are still uh, gridlocked in this bullshit monetary system, just fighting to stay alive. So every donation helps us divert our energy away from that and into fighting the good fight. Take it easy, but take it. Who's free? Cyclical prisons insist freedom is greed. I did it a fascist statement in a fascist state. So watch what you watch, 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 watch.